Welcome to another episode of Lockdown Lightning for the Lockdown Podcast Network. I'm your host, Adam Danker. And as always, today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like candy bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKDOWN. You get $10 off your first order. Uh, I've said on past episodes that my favorite flavor was the banana bread, but, banana nut bread. But I believe, you know, there has been a change. I tasted the, I believe it's the toffee almond. Uh, yesterday, and it was, it, it's taken its place atop the, the you know, atop the, the Mount Rushmore of Bill Bars, so definitely try that one out, uh, get these things there, at, they taste great, and they definitely fill you up, um, if you're looking for like a little snack before maybe a workout or something, this is the thing for you, so go to BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCKDOWN, and get $10 off your first order. So on today's episode, we have special... Special guest, uh, his name is Eric Erlinson. You probably have heard of him. He's a former beat writer for the now defunct Tampa Tribune. Uh, he's been writing about this team for uh, about the the Lightning for almost you know two decades now. Um, he's he's the guy you go to when you have a question on anything Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, he runs. He has his own website, the LightningInsider.com. Definitely check that out. That's definitely something that a lot of Lightning fans, I'm sure. Uh, go to already, but if you haven't, go ahead and you know, check it out. In our episode, we discuss you know everything from the lightning season as well as you know when everything's going to start up and relocation spots. So here's my interview with Eric. All right, and now my next guest on Locked On Lightning is Eric Erlinson. Er- Eric, how you doing? I'm good, Adam. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, how you hanging in there during the whole um, you know uh, the whole uh, quarantine thing going on? Uh, you know, it's, it's Groundhog Day, right? Like it's, it's just, it's in a bizarre kind of way. It's the same thing every day. It's, uh, you know, you get up about the same time every day. You kind of go through the same routines every day. And, you know, I have my wife and my two kids around. So uh, my three kids around, sorry, one of them in college. So I can't even call, call him a kid, but uh, you know, they're around every day and uh, you know, we play games at night and we go for a walk after dinner and you know, it's uh, it's the same thing just about every day. I mean, the the good news is is that we're in a good spot, right? Like we're okay in, in terms of everything else. Everybody's healthy, everything like that. So I, it's not a complaint. It's just you know, it it is Groundhog Day for sure. Well, it's you know, it's a, it's absolutely good to have some sort of a routine. And I know a lot of people out there that are maybe without you know work right now that are trying to keep a routine. But that's why we have the show right here is to kind of keep them busy throughout everything. Yeah, exactly. And you know, I, my, uh, my brother works in the hospitality industry and he's been on furlough since March and he's not sure when he's going to go back to work. And my oldest son was, was at a restaurant that went out of business and uh, he had to file for unemployment. And uh, at least here in Florida, that's an adventure uh, if anybody's paid attention to the news and stuff like that. So yeah, we're, we're in a good spot, uh, certainly compared to what a lot of other people are having to deal with. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we cannot thank the essential workers and the frontline workers enough absolutely. Uh, for everything that they do. So let's let's uh, talk about why you're here tonight. So we got you on the shows because uh, Lightning are having an absolutely incredible season. You know, they're not probably where we would like them to be, and that's first in the conference. But I think they've had a, a pretty good season thus far, don't you think? 
it's been a learning season, if, if that kind of makes sense, even for a team with a lot of the uh, young veterans they have on this team. You know, after what happened to them last year, uh, being swept out of the, the playoffs after having such a historic regular season, uh, it took a while for them to, to gather themselves this year. You know, that, that hangover stuff, it's, it's real. It's not just the Stanley Cup champions or the teams that lose in the Stanley Cup final that suffer a hangover. The Lightning were dealing with one. And, you know, they knew it even heading into training camp, how tough it was going to be uh, to kind of get past that mental hurdle because let's face it us in the media were going to ask them about those questions ad nauseum the only way for them to answer the questions was to get to April uh, and they stumbled they struggled through the first couple of months of the season you had a, a Kevin Shattenkirk come in and a Pat Maroon and some new faces around uh, bringing in Curtis McElhaney as your backup goaltender so you had to integrate some new faces into the lineup and everything else and uh, it took them a while and then by the time they got to Christmas and you know, the 10-game winning streak, and they follow that up with an 11-game winning streak, and they put themselves right into the position that they wanted uh, right before the season hit pause. Right, yeah, and it's funny that you said that they, it was, it's been more of a learning season, if you want to call it that, because if you really looked at this team uh, when they were going through some of the lows and especially some of the highs in that 11-game winning streak, it, it still seemed like, you know, that they were still trying to find themselves, and maybe that could be because of the, the, the amount of injuries that this team, you know, losing Steven Stamkos is, you know, playing without that guy is no easy task at all. Unfortunately, they have a, a little history with having to play without Stammer through no fault of his own, uh, you know, and they, so they've had to deal with that stuff. But, uh, you know, you're right. Even at the beginning of that 10-game winning streak, remember they beat Florida pretty uh, soundly going into the Christmas break, and then they had that game against Montreal coming out of the Christmas break where they were outshot 18 to nothing and down 2 nothing on the scoreboard, and they rallied to win that game. They had the New Year's Eve game in Buffalo where they're down two goals, um, you know, in the middle part, down three goals in the middle part of the second period. They come back and win that game. So they kind of found their footing around the middle part of January into the or later stages of January. I think they had a stretch of seven or eight consecutive games where they allowed two or fewer goals. That's the formula they want, right? They know that they're a team that can score some goals, but they don't want to get caught in too many of those games, knowing how the game can be played in the postseason. I think that's the lesson that they learned from last year. They were that high offensive juggernaut last year that, you know, they were putting up offensive numbers that we hadn't seen in the NHL since the days of Lemieux and, and Yager together in Pittsburgh. And, um, you know, so they knew they had to be much better defensively. It's been an emphasis from the start of training camp from the very first day. And they went through that stretch in January and February where that's how they wanted to play. That's the model. That's the way they want to be. And then I think the game this year where they kind of, I don't want to say put it all together, but kind of found out who they were a lot was that game in Boston, the Saturday before we all hit the pause, uh, that nice little melee game uh, at TD Garden up there. The Lightning scored a couple of shorthanded goals, but you had all the, 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 the fracases going on. And I think that's where the Lightning kind of came together as a team. And I think at that point, they were ready for the postseason to start. And, that, and then here we are without it. Yeah, that was the thing that I've been kind of – you know, uh, speaking a lot to my, my listeners about on Lockdown Lightning is that the one frustrating thing about this team is that we know how talented they are. We've seen it on the ice numerous times, not only last year, but only obviously, of course, this year as well. And the thing that's most frustrating is the, the slow starts. I think it was even during that four game skid at about, I want to say at the end of February, uh, when they had maybe five shots after the first period. And it's one of those things where you're, you're kind of sitting there between, you know, periods and thinking, how is this team 
only have five shots with all the weapons that they have, especially on their first two lines. It, it's kind of one of those things where, you know, you want them to get, you know, you, when you saw them playing Boston and you saw them kind of getting their act together, it's one of those things where you kind of, you're worried going into the playoffs. What if they start out slow against a team, wh whoever they played, regardless of the format, whether it's maybe Toronto or even a New York. Yeah, uh, that was going to be the test, you know, and, and the, again, going back to what I said in, in the previous question about they knew going into this season from the first day of training camp, their only shot at redemption is in April. That's it. They were only going to be judged in April, uh, assuming, of course, they got to the playoffs. There was some uh, touch and go there for the first two and a half months of the season. But, you know, once they put themselves on the right foot and, and put themselves in a really solid position right there behind the Bruins in the uh, Atlantic Division, that the judgment was going to come in April. How are they going to perform once the playoffs came around, no matter who it was against? You know, if, it's, uh, if it was going to be Toronto, you know, the Maple Leafs are probably happy as all get out that they wouldn't be facing the Boston Bruins in the first round, and how would the Lightning handle that? You know, how would they be able to handle it if they fell down one nothing in the series or 2 nothing in a Game 5 situation? You know, that's exactly what everybody was going to be looking for. So, uh, again, I think it's still going to be that way. I still believe we're going to get to – a point to where we're going to see playoff hockey this year, but there's no doubt it's going to be different. It's going to have a different look. It's going to have a different feel. Um, but I think the lightning will be prepared for it. I just don't know if they will be certainly have Steven Stamkos healthy. Jan Gruda will be healthy. Ryan McDonald was coming off the foot injury. Uh, he had just come back before we hit the pause button. Um, but, you know, even with everybody healthy, I think the Lightning are in a good spot. It's just I would have liked to have seen – I think a lot of people would have liked to have seen the momentum that they were building carry into the normal situation. Yeah, it was unfortunate that, you know, there was a there was a pause in the play. But I think that one of the things that you could take out as a positive was giving this team time to heal from its injuries. And, you know, you kind of saw Basileski kind of falling off a little bit uh, towards the end there before they stopped play. So I think that – a lot of teams, you know, whether it's Toronto or whomever it will be, I think that a lot of people don't realize how dangerous this team's going to be fully healthy and fully relaxed and ready to go as soon as uh, play resolve, resumes. Yeah, there's a determination factor involved. You know, you've got uh, so many of these players that have been through so much uh, as the core of this team, the Kalorns, the Johnsons, Palats, Hedmans. Uh, Stamkos, of course, Kucherov, all these guys that have been around since 2014 and uh, come so close a couple of times and not finished the job. So there's a determination factor with that group. You bring in a Pat Maroon coming off of the Stanley Cup run he had last year with the St. Louis Blues, a Kevin Shattenkirk who is uh, motivated to perform. You bring in a Zach Bogosian right before the trade deadline as a free agent to have some motivation there. Uh, so there's a lot to like about how this roster is constructed right now. And then you throw in the trade deadline deal acquisitions of Blake Coleman and Barclay Goodrow and it's just a different look to the roster and the feel of what they can throw out there um, you know every other shift it's not just the fast speed skilled that they have out there now you've got a little bit of meat and potatoes uh, with a maroon and Paquette line in particular uh, you've got a Barclay Goodrow who can play that game and you've got a Blake Coleman who when he's at the top of his game he is as determined as anybody when it comes to chasing down pucks. Right, absolutely. And the one thing that I noticed was from this team, especially when they were going through that little skid, and I know a lot of Lightning fans might disagree with me about how maybe big of a deal I made about it at that time when they were losing four straight. But one of the things that stood out to me was that their lack of maybe, you know, the team's taking it to them and then not giving it back. And so how big 
is it for to have additions like Barkley Goodrow, Zach Bogosian, and even with Pat Maroon being there all year, you know, that definitely, you definitely saw the, those three uh, really pull their weight in that Boston game right before uh, pause. Yeah. But how, how big is that going to be for this team, especially after what happened in last year's playoffs? How big is that going to be going into this year's playoffs? I think if I can steal a phrase from John Cooper, the, the bench is just a couple inches taller when, when mm-hmm. you have guys like that around, right? Like you sit up a little bit more and other teams take notice a little bit more. And, you know, you're not going to have, you know, if you go back to the 2018 conference finals when they lost to Washington and how the Capitals kind of turned up that element of their game, specifically in game six and seven, uh, and how the Lightning didn't have anybody to kind of match it and it just kind of wore the Lightning down. You don't have that now. Goodrow can play that game. Maroon, I mean, Maroon, I think he, he was in the lineup twice this year when the Lightning faced the Bruins and he fought Zidane Chara both times. So, you know, what kind of a message does that send? And, you know, Goodrow was right in the middle of the action uh, of everything that took place in that Boston game. And mm-hmm. Anthony Sorelli, who knows he's going to have to go head to head with a Marchand or a Bergeron or, um, you know, a David Krejci when they get to a playoff series, assuming they face each other, you know, so it was like, I'm not huge on message sending, but I think that game in particular against the Bruins wasn't necessarily a message to the Bruins. I think it was a message to the Lightning themselves about how they could respond in those situations that, look, we're not going to back down now. You know, the Bruins are known as a kind of a physical team, um, you know, especially once you get past that top line. They got some guys who can really bang it around, the Brandon Carlos and the Charas and, and guys like that. Um, you know, that was a message to themselves more than anything else that when the game gets like this, we now have the personnel to maybe uh, handle it a little bit better than maybe they would have the previous year. Yeah, I, I, and I don't know about you about message sending, but if you watched that last Boston game on the national television broadcast at that time, it was about maybe seconds before the first fight of the game. Because remember, uh, there was a couple of fights in that game, and Pierre Maguire just got done talking about how this Lightning team was maybe you could call them a little bit soft. And I don't know if the guys on the bench heard him say that, but it seemed like all hell broke loose as soon as he mm-hmm. said that. Um, so that, that was very good to see. Now, now that we've talked about a little bit about the present, I want to kind of turn back the clock a little bit here and talk about when you first started out, when you first started to you know, start writing about the Lightning. Now, you were, you were the lead writer for the Tampa Bay Tribune during the 2001-2002 season. And for maybe for those Bolt fans that may have forgotten or just were too young to remember, that's right around the start of John Tortorella era in Tampa. Now, what was the consensus around Torres being hired as the full-time coach then? Yeah, that was his first full-time year. Uh, Steve Ludzik had been fired um, a couple of months into the previous season. So, you know, Tortorella had taken over. Uh, I took the team from uh, the end of the end of the season. And, you know, the thing is, is nobody really knew who John Tortorella was as a head coach. He'd never been a head coach at the NHL level. You know, he'd been an assistant in Buffalo. He was an assistant with the Rangers. Um, so we didn't really know what the personality of who John Tortorella was. Um, so we, there were the expectations, we didn't know what the expectations were. And to be honest with you too, that was 2001. So the first day of lightning training camp was the day 9-11 happened. So oh. we didn't get like, we now know the camp Torturella, right? Like that's the, the phrase that Brad Lukowicz put out there because of how grueling the first couple of days of training camp can be. So we didn't even get a taste of that because the whole training camp situation was totally out of whack because of what happened and where, you know, we were in North America and the world after that happened. But I can tell you very early in that season, and I'll never forget this. 
I think it was the last of a three-game homestand to start the year. Again, not no really knowing who John Tortorella was, and me being the still somewhat green uh, reporter, uh, went downstairs for the post-game. They had lost to the Florida Panthers. It wasn't a very uh, aesthetically pleasing game. It was a, this kind of go through the motions a little bit and I left my tape recorder upstairs now this was in the day before phones were our voice recorders and mm-hmm. you know we actually had a tape recorder it wasn't even a digital recorder it was an actual tape recorder and I didn't bring it down I'm like you know what I don't need it I'll just write down what I need well John Tortorella went off uh, on his team uh, and talked about uh, and and used some colorful language about how the culture of the team needed to change and, and all this had to take place and you know this was unacceptable and he wasn't going to let it happen again. That was really our first introduction to what John Tortorella was going to bring to this Lightning team, and that was exactly that changing the culture. That's why they brought in a Dave Anderchuk. That's why they brought in a Tim Taylor, guys who could help reshape and remold. Uh, that locker room and the, and the losing culture that the franchise had. They'd only been to the playoffs once in its existence since 92. So you're talking a decade, one playoff appearance. Uh, but he came in, and that's exactly what he set out to do. Uh, and certainly you saw the fruits of that labor the next year when they made the playoffs, uh, won a, a series for the first time in franchise history, and then, of course, went on to win the Cup the next year. Right, and that was actually going to be my next question. Now, with that team falling short just uh, in the semifinals to the Devils, who were, you know, one of the best teams uh, of that decade right there, uh, was it only a matter – was the feeling around the team only a matter of time before this team would actually – with the level of talent that they had, was it only a matter of time before they were going to win the Cup? Or was it this kind of – was this run kind of out of nowhere for those that followed the team then? In some ways, it was a little out of nowhere. Because, you know, they had, it took, you know, they, they fell behind the Capitals 2 nothing in the first round the previous year, had to come back and win four straight games to, to beat the Capitals. It was a triple overtime game. Uh, but Marty St. Louis had that great uh, triple overtime goal against Ole Kolzig uh, to send them to that second round. Uh, and then they got, I don't want to say manhandled, but, you know, they got taught a lesson by a experienced veteran Stanley Cup winning team in New Jersey. Uh, they lose it in, in five games. There's a couple overtime games in there. I believe the series loss was in double overtime, you know, so they were, it's, it's like, okay, they're close, but they're really not that close. So, you know, the next year, the expectations were a little bit higher, but even then they got off to a great start. And by the time they got to January on the calendar, they were a 500 hockey team. You know, they had that great start they had. I think they started off seven, one and one best start in franchise history. And, and it was gone. And at that time, there was talk, well, is, is John Tortorella not the right guy? Is his message a little too stern? Is he still a little too old school uh, for the NHL and how the players react to him? Uh, so it really wasn't until February, beginning of January, um, and into February where they really took off. They had a players-only meeting. I remember it specifically. It was an afternoon game in Tampa against the Columbus Blue Jackets. Mark Denise shut them out. I think it was a one nothing game. They had a players-only meeting after that, and we must have waited outside the dressing room for 20 minutes, and the the NHL rule is five minutes, so here we are waiting for the room to open up, Uh, and it was after that they took off. They won their next game. I think they lost to the Flyers, and then they went on this unbelievable run where they were like 22-2-1 over a stretch or something like that uh, that they really took off. So I don't know if you got the feel 
from the year before when they first made the playoffs, if it was going to equate to this quick of a turnaround. But when you had an Anderchuk, you had a Taylor, you had this talent with the Modine and Brad Richards and Marty St. Louis uh, in the midst of an MVP year, Vinny LeCavalier, you brought in a Corey Stillman that year. You got Dan Boyle, Pablo Cabin on the back end. There was a lot of talent on that team. And uh, I think it just kind of molded together at the right time in the right way. And you end up getting a team that found a way to win a cup. Right. I mean, and that's like 90% of playoff hockey is, you know, it all coming together and at the right time and a goaltender getting hot. Speaking of hot goaltenders, Kabi Bullen, uh, I did a, I did a rewatch a couple of weeks ago of that, that finals and Kabi Bullen was absolutely on point. And, you know, I could only imagine what kind of run this present day team could get if Vasilevsky does the same. I mean, I don't see any other team maybe beating this lightning team if they, if he has such a similar run in the playoffs. Yeah, it all starts with your goalie. I mean, show me a successful team, and I'll show you a team has got a good goalie. Uh, they go hand-in-hand, hand, uh, especially on championship teams. Even some goalies that get overlooked, like a Mike Vernon, you know, who won a cup in Calgary, and he helped the Red Wings win a cup. And Chris Osgood probably doesn't get his due because he was overshadowed. But you have to – it all starts with the, with the goalie. If they have a bad playoff series, forget it. You know, you go back to 2018, you know, Andre Vasilevsky stole the game in game five against the Capitals. Wasn't quite as good in game six and game seven, gives up the early goal to Ovechkin in game seven, the conference finals that year, and it kind of deflates the team. So you need the goalie to really be the backbone. And uh, Vasilevsky can put that kind of a run together. He's capable of it. You know, I remember he stepped in for Ben Bishop in 2016 in the conference finals and nearly led Tampa Bay to a Stanley Cup final uh, in 2016. So um, he's got it in him. There's no doubt. And if he plays at his level uh, that we've seen, especially when the team was playing so well earlier this year, if he's at that level and you have a determined team that doesn't turn the puck over and that's a big part of who the Lightning are this year, they don't want to be a team that hurts themselves they have the talent and the skill and the offensive prowess to be able to score enough goals to support their goalie. Right. Absolutely. And then watching those two teams and kind of analyzing how their championship runs Well, the lightning haven't won a championship yet this year, but who knows, but there are a lot of parallels. Now you just, you just stated uh, kind of like the shortcomings of, or the roadblock you'd say that uh, that light, that Oh four team ran into, but then this team also ran into a roadblock last year with obviously the first round sweep. Now, what, what is, do, would you say that these two teams are maybe on a similar path and maybe the Lightning could? Because they are similar teams in terms of they help, everyone has a certain role and you always have that role kind of filled with these two teams. So would you say that maybe that these two teams are on a similar path or, or is that kind of just trying to put stuff together, trying to wishful thinking? Well, I, I think some of it is wishful thinking because <laughs> you know, how talented this team can be. Like, it's there. We know it's there. We've seen it. They made three deep playoff runs in four years. Um, you know, and, and, and I don't think in looking at some of the uh, history and, and some of the uh, stats that the league puts out, no team has had the type of success the Tampa Bay Lightning have had over a five-year span and not won a cup. And I think that hurts a little bit when you hear it kind of put it in that way, especially if you don't know what's going to go on the rest of this season and have the opportunity with this core of players to get it done. So uh, I think some of it is, is a little bit of wishful thinking, but you know, there are lessons to be learned. Uh, sometimes you have to have disappointment to make a victory feel that much better. Uh, and you don't have to look any further than what the Capitals went through a couple of years ago. You know, they had never been out of the second round in the Alice Ovechkin era. They could never beat the Penguins. They could never sort of slay that dragon that was always in their way. They finally did it. 
and they have a two nothing lead against Tampa Bay in, in the conference finals, winning the first two games uh, on the road. And then the lightning come back and win the next three. And then you saw the determination it was like, no, 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 we're not going to let this happen. And they learned their lessons and you hope that the lightning, this current crop of lightning are the same team. And they've taken some of those disappointments uh, in recent years and can put it together and build what they need to build on the ice. Um, you know, and look to win a Stanley cup, you need some fortune to go your way. Hey, look at St. Louis last year. It took mm-hmm. a double overtime goal in game seven from Pat Maroon just to get to the conference finals, let alone winning a cup. You know, so sometimes you need some fortune on your side. Uh, and quite frankly, it's time for the Lightning to have some of that fortunate uh, situations on their side to get the job done. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Now, let's, let's kind of look on the other side of that. Let's say the Lightning, unfortunately, do fall short again. Is the clock ticking on John Cooper? Is how, how short is the leash now? on coach Coop after if, if they do fall short again. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, after what happened last year, uh, there was a lot of people who thought he probably wasn't going to come back this year. Or, you know, if they got off to a slow start, what would that mean? Well, they got off to the slow start and, you know, Julian Breezeblaw never wavered in his support for John Cooper. Um, you know, he signed that contract extension last year in March so I, I guess it would depend a lot on how it happens. You know, I mean, just mm-hmm. for uh, devil's advocate, if they get swept again in the first round, I don't know how you don't make a change. But if they get to the Stanley Cup final and they lose in game seven, do you make a change because they lost in a game seven? So I guess it would just depend on how that came to fruition. Um, but I, I know that there's a lot of uh, – because remember, Julian Breezeball hired John Cooper in Norfolk. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of history between Julian and John Cooper um, going back to when he was hired away from the Green Bay Gamblers of the USHL and, and brought into their American Hockey League affiliate and led on to lead them to a, a record-setting season in a Calder Cup championship uh, in 2012. So um, I, I guess a lot of it just depends if they don't get the job done, well, how do you go out? What's the manner in which you go out and, and what kind of a taste does that leave in your mouth? Right. I, I mean, it's one of those tricky situations where you have a GM who's basic, you know, this is his guy. He brought his guy in because he, he thought he could get the job and job done. And then unfortunately, you know, there's a chance that he might, it's kind of a, I look at it as more of a, a cup or bust kind of scenario, especially for this season. Uh, you said it best that, you know, depending on how they, if they get knocked out, on the scenario of that, if he keeps his job, I think, yeah, it's one of those situations. Um, but I think sooner or later, they're going to have to make a tough decision whether or not to either get rid of uh, Coach Coop, even though he's done a great job for this franchise, or maybe look in other directions in terms of maybe roster personnel. Um, well, we know there's roster moves that are going to have to come this year anyway, right? Yeah, um, especially right. now, uh, the cap was projected to go up to about 85 or 86, somewhere in that range, which would have been good news for Tampa Bay. But you still – you have to sign Anthony Cerati with contract, and you see the role that has expanded to him this year. I mean, it is so rare in the NHL for a 22-year-old to be in the Selkie conversation, and Anthony yeah. Cerati entered that conversation big time this year. Uh, so, you know, he needs a new contract. Uh, Mikhail Sergachev really came on this year on the back end, needs a new contract. Uh, Mitchell Stevens, not as expensive, but you see the role that he uh, showed that he can play at the NHL level this year when he made his way up. He's up for, uh, you know, he's a restricted free agent at the end of the year. Chernak, who's been a big part of the top four, especially paired with Ryan McDonough. So but we know in, in order to fit all of these players in, Julian Breezeball is going to have to make some roster decisions 
that are going to break up some of this core. Now, does that mean an Alex Kalorn who's having a great year? Is he a guy that they target? Is Andre Pallott a guy they target? Is Tyler Johnson somebody they target? Either way, we know that in order to, to be cap compliant, they're going to have to make moves, especially now when a best-case scenario, depending on what happens with the rest of the season, the salary cap is going to remain flat. And that's, again, that's the best-case scenario for mm-hmm. the NHL under these circumstances. Um, and it's going, to be t- it's going to be tight. It was going to be tight regardless for Julian Breesbaugh to make this all fit. Now that makes it a little more difficult. Right, absolutely. Now – I just want to talk a little. It wouldn't be a Locked On Lightning episode without talking about Alex Kalorn. Uh, if I love social media influencer, <laughs> Alex Kalorn is the my favorite Lightning player this year. The role that he had to take on in all these absences is this kind of like a scenario where a lot of people are talking about Zibanejad, uh playing alongside Panarin the season he's having. Now, with all the responsibility kind of shifting towards Kalorn doing all these different things, do you think that he is kind of going to plateau? He's hit his plateau, or does he still have much to show us in terms of his scoring output for future seasons to come? Well, some of the scoring comes from the fact that he was, uh, he's was he been on the top power play unit for a good portion of the year, and I know the power play hit a rut there for about a yeah. month, but it was really good early in the year, and, and he was a benefactor and, and a big reason on that. But, you know, as many times as Alex Kalorn's name has come up in conversations this year, particularly with John Cooper, you know, the one thing that he talks about with Kalorn, uh, of course, finally reaching that 20-goal plateau uh, that he just didn't seem to be able to cross uh, in his previous seasons. But the one thing that he really brings up is how much the added responsibility to Kalorn has really brought his game to a different level, right? He, he, he's been a, a main penalty killer. Him and Sorelli have been a terrific penalty, care, uh, penalty kill duo uh, as a top penalty kill pair. Uh, he's wearing an A on his, his sweater this year, which is something he hadn't done a whole lot in previous years. Uh, you know, with Ryan Callahan not here anymore, he's taken on some of that leadership. And we tend to forget if memory serves me correct, and if I'm wrong, uh, point it out to me. But I think Alex Kalorn is the third longest tenured player on this team behind Steven Stamkos and Victor Hedman. So that tells you how much of a part of this team he's been. And let's face it, his playoff performances, he rises to the occasion when the team needs him. You know, we've been doing these replays uh, on 95.3 down here. Uh, in in Tampa, and it just seems anytime the Lightning had a big goal or needed a big goal, Alex Kalorn was right in the middle of it. You know, game seven against the Rangers, and he had the goal in game one against Chicago in 2015 Stanley Cup final, and, you know, I think back to, um, you know, the series against Detroit where they had a 2-0 lead. Detroit came back and and, and tied it, and who was who had the go-ahead goal? It was Alex Kalorn. So you think of those big moments that he stepped up, and it's just kind of all come together for him this year as he's just taken on more of a leadership role and more responsibility responsibility with the team right he's he's been absolutely incredible for this team and you said it perfectly that you know whenever there's a big moment you need someone to rise to the occasion it's been killer and to to have a guy like that um you know we've been we talked about you know having the playoffs and everything coming together and in the playoffs what's always the common theme with goals it's always having someone rise up to the occasion whether it's your star player or a guy you know who just happens to get hot at the right time and killer is definitely one of that guy who you could definitely see who could maybe possibly put this team on his back if need be uh come playoff time 
Yeah, he's a guy that, that can be right in the middle of it. Uh, you know, we, we look to Steven Stamkos. We look to Nikita Kucherov. We've looked to Tyler Johnson. He's a guy who stepped up his game in the postseason as well uh, as we go through these replays. But, uh, you know, Kalorna's a guy who, you know, he's not the star player. He's not the big name. Uh, unless he's out riding on his jet ski, he's not the big <laughs> name uh, out there, right? He's he's overshadowed by Stamkos and Hedman and Kucherov and all these other players, but he just goes out and does his job. Um, and his numbers may have never reflected what people think he should have been, and sometimes that happens with players. Uh, that's why I think it was big for him to hit that 20-goal uh, mark, and he did it early in the year. He did it in January. Uh, he finally was able to reach it. Um, but I, I think you're just starting to appreciate the type of game that Alex Kalorn can bring. I, you know, I've, I've said it many times about him. To me, he's sort of the modern-day definition of a power forward, right? Mm -hmm. Like, he's not, he's not huge. He's not a Ryan Malone kind of guy, but he's got power forward body. He's got power forward – uh, size that he can sit in front of that, but he's skilled. He's smart. He can skate. He's got good hands. He's got a lot of the elements that power forwards need to have, but he does it on a, on a guy that can, you know, skate with uh, top, top line players in today's game when the game was so much faster than it's ever been. And uh, he, he can really be a big part of that and be a really, really good complimentary player. Yeah. I mean, that was one of the things that I noticed from kind of rewatching the painful highlights of last year's first round exit <laughs> is that this team really looked towards Stammer and uh, Kucherov to, you know, really bail them out of some tough situations. And then Kucherov getting that game misconduct and missing game three, it, it kind of hurt them. So to have that guy like Kalorn kind of being your back pocket to maybe bail you out of some tough situations would definitely be huge for this team. Yep. Yep, they need as many of uh, those kind of players as you can get, you know, because uh, sometimes what you see in the postseason is the top lines can cancel each other out, and you need the, the role players, the, the guys who can step up. And, look, he's done it, right? They, again, we mentioned yeah. the Game 7 goal he had against the Rangers in the conference finals uh, early in the third period that broke that game open and allowed them to get to the Stanley Cup final. And, and you know, going back through these replay of these games – you look at some of the just key clutch goals that he scored uh, again, not a big time goal scorer, but a guy who scores goals at big times. Right. Absolutely. Now let's switch gears. Now we could sit here and speculate about players, how they're going to be playing come playoff time and all that. But the real question floating around every hockey fans asking is when is time going to come? When is the season going to come back? Now there's been several locations being thrown around the news. There's, there was North Dakota, I believe, for a couple of weeks. That was the talk from the league. And then I believe a couple of weeks ago, there was now the league was discussing three possible remote locations, and that's Vancouver, Edmonton, and Toronto. And the players kind of pushed back saying they don't want to leave their home cities. Now, what do you see as the most logical situation happening going forward? Now, the players do want to play uh, in their home facilities. I suggest it in lieu of the fans, just have these games be played in the practice facilities. How logical is, you know, all this once it comes together, how logical is this going to be to come together in a timely fashion where it's not really going to affect next season, you know, significantly? Yeah, that's the one thing that the league has talked about. Uh, Gary Bettman and Bill Daly, the deputy commissioner, have talked about extensively since this whole thing has gone on. They, they want to find the best way to form a conclusion to this season and keep the integrity of next season intact. Now, they've talked about scenarios where they could push the start of next season back as far as December and still get in 
uh, if not 82, close to an 82-game schedule uh, and still keep things uh, moving along and award a champion and then try and get back on track for the following year. Uh, so all of that is in mind, but the, the one thing we have to keep in mind is this is a completely unprecedented situation, and at the same time, it's a fluid situation. There's so much going on. You know, they have to – because the thing is, is no matter what they come up with, you can poke holes at it, right? Like you can, you can critique whatever solution they come up with, and that's for any of the pro, pro sports leagues. You know, so I, I don't think there's a, there's a right or a wrong way to do it here because nobody's had to go through something like this for um, 100 years, you know, and the world was so much different a decade or a century ago. Uh, so to go through this, and, and I think the scenarios that they're coming up with, first of all, there's not going to be fans in the stands. I think we can all uh, understand how that's going to take place. So this is going to be basically a, a TV event only. Um, I think in that aspect, I think it's going to have to be done in NHL rinks. Uh, I know that the, the idea of North Dakota and, and Manchester, New Hampshire uh, was thrown around. Saskatchewan was thrown around where some of these smaller uh, intimate rinks, but to pull this off, uh, especially if you're going to have pod cities, and this is still, I think, the, the trend as we sit right here and talk today that the league is going towards. Um, if you brought in, say, six teams per division, you know, you need enough dressing room facilities. You need enough uh, sheets of ice for practice facilities around. Um, you need a, uh, an adequate enough workout area and, and, and that sort of regime that players are going to need. Um, so I, I think these games are going to take place in NHL arenas. Uh, is the Lightning going to play Toronto and have a, you know, a seven-game series with games going back and forth? I don't know how viable right now on May the 13th that is. Maybe it's different when we get to the start of July when the possibility of games being placed, uh, played starts to come to fruition. But there's a lot of different scenarios, but I think at the end of the day, I think we're going to jump right into a playoff situation. I think you're going to see probably a 24-team um, playoff situation by division, and they're probably all going to be housed in one city. You're going to have two to three games played per day, similar to like the World Cup of Hockey was a number of years ago. And I think that's the way that they're going to get to to find some sort of a conclusion to the season. The thing is, is the NHL has not put any time frame on this. We've heard baseball talk about July 4. We've heard the NBA talk about July, maybe in Vegas and Orlando. We haven't heard any of that uh, sort of narrowed down from an NHL standpoint. So, again, it's still a very fluid situation. Right. And, yeah, that's definitely one of the most frustrating things, I think, about this whole situation for hockey fans and as us as well in the media is that, we, we're hearing all these these phrases that the league keeps throwing up, progressive talks, you know, making a lot of progress with the Players Association, but we're not really getting a lot of information that's really concrete. And I think that's the one thing that may be working against the league in their favor, especially when you have the NBA is going to have a timeline on when, you know, they're going to have an actual plan. MLBs are discussing about a possible restart. The NFL's already making plans in terms of, you know, how they're going to handle potential situations. But you're not really hearing so much from the NHL. Now, what, what do you think is the reason for that exactly? I, I think the NHL is just trying to be more cautious than the other leagues in the situation because you don't want to be wrong, right? Like you don't want to get into a situation where you think you have – you know, the, the, the virus, uh, not under control, but you have the players quarantined enough to where you can't introduce it um, into a, a pod situation. I think they want to make sure that they have, right. I think they have to make sure that, 
whatever plan they come up with, that there's enough testing. You've heard about the NBA talk about this, is that you have to have uh, ample testing uh, opportunities to test players and at the same time not take away from the general public uh, in these situations. I think the league has to sort through that. And I, and I still think, too, and I think this is why we've heard the NHL talk about pushing the start of the season back to December to start the 2021 season. I think the longer they wait and the more patient they are and when they come back and still able to keep next season intact, the odds are better. I'm not saying they're good, but the odds would be better that you might be able to have fans back in the stands in some capacity because we know how much this league relies on gate revenues. They don't have the TV deals that the NBA or the NHL or MLB has. So they still rely on people in the seats to bring in the revenue that they need to hit all these hockey related revenues that we talk about with a salary cap. So I, I think the further they kind of show their patience here, they might, and I'm not saying they will, but they might have a better opportunity to get closer to having fans back in the stands because there's been some owners. Um, I don't know if they've been on record, but they've talked about that. If next season starts without fans in the stands, they're better off not playing games because they'll lose less money by not playing. Right. And yeah, that's definitely, you know, as much as we want to have the fans back in the stands, I think that, you know, it's, you, you said it best. It's, it's a very delicate situation. Um, and, you know, one of the things that is very tricky about this, like you said, it's unprecedented. So I think it's, yeah, I think in their, your, your idea is that, you know, they want to have a delicate approach. They want to take their time doing this because then, you know, one wrong step, one miscalculated move, and then we're right back to square one with this. Yep. Um, so one of the things I heard out of this that is super exciting to me, I don't know how it is to some hockey fans. I've gotten some of the locked on lightning fans are super excited about this possible idea. Now they were talking about the farther back they push this season, next season could possibly start in maybe May or so. Now, I don't know about you, but the idea of having hockey in the summer is absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, just, you know, especially if you had to pick between going to a 90, 90 degree baseball game, you know, whether you are obviously in Tampa, you have, you know, baseball indoors, so it's an easier decision. But let's say you're going to, you know, a game in Los Angeles, either you could sit, bake out in the sun at a Dodger game, or you could go sit inside and watch the Kings, you know, in an air conditioned, slightly, you know, arena. I think that would be the best thing for hockey in terms of generating revenue. What do you, what's your idea on that? Uh, there's there's something to that in the sense that you know when the NHL starts up, okay, their training camps open up in September. Well, what's going on in September? You're just getting into the NFL and college football season, and that's where a lot of the focus is uh, from fans and the media, especially in markets like Tampa. You know, we we kind of poke fun at the TV stations around here that uh, they'll show up in January and they go, "Oh, the Buck season must be over, right?" So you know, we hear about that. Um, you know, they're up against the start of the NBA season as well and you know sometimes you look at an NHL schedule and you see teams with not a whole lot of games in October and that's by design because a lot of uh, owners would tell you they don't want home games in October you know they don't want to have to go through that because you know the attendance might not be uh, as good so there is certainly something to be said for that 
that if you and I, I think the NHL missed out on an opportunity after the 0405 lockout where they could have reset the schedule a little bit, maybe started earlier. Maybe you had training camps in August like they do in the European leagues uh, and start your season in September. Um, you know, maybe capture a little bit of the attention in August before things really start to kick off with some of the other sports, um, you know, or in this case, if you push it back and you have games, you know, uh, and this will be a test market if people are watching. Um, if you have games in May, June, July, August, when the only thing you're really competing against is Major League Baseball. And, uh, you know, you hear the, the talk about how Major League Baseball needs to find a way to draw interest back to their game and back to their sport because they're losing a generation of kids uh, in terms of fans. And, you know, so I I think there is a little something to that idea. I don't know if they'll get to it. I mean, at the end of the day, it it is ice hockey. It is a winter sport. Um, There are challenges for certain markets like Tampa, like Arizona to build good ice that can withstand the humidity and the heats of the summer months. Uh, but the technology has gotten better. And if Tampa does host, if they are one of these pod cities and Amelie Arena is chosen as one of the arenas, uh, that'll be put to the test big time uh, by the ice crew there. If they can build and maintain the ice during the hot summer months, uh, maybe that'll be a test market. Who knows? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's definitely something to look into. Now, before I let you go, I got to ask you this. When I was reading up a little bit about you on Lightning Insider, which is an incredible website for Locked On Lightning fans, if you haven't taken a look at this, look at this. This is your your baby. This is your brainchild. Now, we got to discuss how this all came to be, because this is a great story. So mm-hmm. you're, you're sitting in a hotel room in Brooklyn during game three in the 2016 Eastern Conference semifinals, and you find out unfortunately that the tribune was sold and then pretty much put out of business by you know the competitors now this is where lightning insider comes but i have to ask you before how lightning insider came to be did you stay and watch the game after that or what was going through your head with all that Uh, yeah as you can imagine that was a bizarre day uh we had no indications that something like this would happen you know it was sort of a tumultuous time for uh, us at the paper um we had uh, venture capitalists as our owners and uh, those are two terms you don't want to necessarily hear coming in and purchasing your business um so we were a little leery about then we knew our building had been sold uh we had been told that we were looking for somewhere new to house us in the downtown area. Our publisher, Brian Burns, had been all around the Tampa Bay area looking for office space. The impact was minimal. Um, The paper was going to be printed somewhere else. We thought it was going to be in Lakeland. So it was a very tumultuous period for the paper. So we had no wind whatsoever that something like this could happen. Uh, And then we got an email uh, that, that afternoon on May the 3rd that there was an all staff meeting that had to be held in the auditorium. And again, no idea. So I'm sitting in my hotel room. This is the, I had already uh, went to the morning skate, gotten done what I needed to filed my notebook for uh, online. And uh, at three o'clock I'm getting text messages from people saying, you know, what the, you know, what, what's mm-hmm. going on? I had no clue. It wasn't until somebody directed me to the times website uh, that had the rundown of what was going on. And I kind of started to soak in as like, Oh, what does that mean? And, 
you know, and then we heard, well, some people will be uh, maintained, some people will be let go, some people will be maintained on a temporary basis. I had no clue. I had no clue. So uh, I, I got word about an hour after all this went down of, of what my situation was. I was not going to be one of the ones that was retained. Uh, so, so many thoughts go through my head and, um, you know, talk to my wife and, oh my God, this is what's going on. And uh, I contemplated, I contemplated not going to the game. And I sat in that room for a while. Um, struggling with that thought process. And I thought, you know what, if this is the last thing I'm going to be at professionally, I, I'm not going to let it slip by. I'm going to go, to, I'm going to go to the game. I'm going to go to the game. <laughs> so I go and I have my computer um, and I walk in to the, uh, the, the media workroom down there and a lot of colleagues, a lot of people I've known for a lot of years were all coming up to me and talking to me. And then I probably sent, spent the next hour and a half, which took us deep into the second period of that game, just replying to Twitter messages, you know, replying to text messages from people saying, Oh my gosh, I just heard what happened. I'm so sorry. Let me know if I can do anything, you know, those kind of things. And, you know, and responding to all the people on Twitter who sent me those same things. So I, I spent that, that time trying to respond to everybody. And I think I did. And by the time that happened, I go upstairs, uh, watch the third period. I see Jonathan Drew and set up Nikita Kucherov for the game time goal that sends it to overtime. I think I went back downstairs after that. So I saw Boyle's, uh, Brian Boyle's game winner uh, in the, in the, in the workroom. But um, yeah, it was weird. And as I make my way to the locker room after the game, John Cooper pulls me in the office and asks me what's going on. I walk in the locker room. I get sort of cornered by Ben Bishop and Steven Stamkos. Hey, what's going on? We heard this. What, what can you tell us? And so, yeah, it was, it was a very, very bizarre day. Um, when that all that happened again, May 3rd, 2016 was the date that it all went down. And uh, I didn't know what the future was going to hold. I didn't know if I was going to be able to continue to cover games or work for anybody. Um, first time that ever happened. I, you know, I had uh, never, I've never been fired from a job. Uh, I, I wouldn't even call this necessarily being fired from a job, but uh, it was a unique situation that I had no idea what was going to go on. Right. I mean, yeah, that's definitely an unfortunate situation, <laughs> but I think that everyone who's a hardcore hockey fan, let alone sports fan, has to admire the dedication that you put in. You just said, you know, let, let, me, let me go watch this game, you know, because that, that really shows how much you love this, uh, doing this. And, you know, Lightning Insider came out of it, and it shows it in the quality of work that you do. And, Thank you. you know, and we, not only me, because especially when sometimes if I miss something, you know, about a certain, especially during the trade deadline when that all happened. And, uh, you know, I came on my show one time and I wanted uh, – I didn't think the Lightning were going to make any moves. And then all of a sudden they make two trades in a span of three days. So it's one <laughs> of those situations. And then, you know, I go to Lightning Insider. But, yeah, that, that's absolutely incredible. And it's something to truly be admired. admired. And, you know, so, yeah, that's it. Thank you. We really, I really appreciate you for taking time uh, to doing this. Uh, you know, this, it's, it's a tough time for everyone. But to have these kind of interactions – uh, between us and the media really helps not only us, but it only helps the people at home who may not be able to be there on the front lines and be out of work right now. Well, I appreciate you having me on. I hope uh, I was informative. I hope I was entertaining to some aspect. And, uh, you know, if anybody ever needs to reach out to me, my email address is eric at lightninginsider.com. And it's eric with a K, E-R-I-K. Uh, so if anybody wants to reach me, and of course, on Twitter, I'm very interactive on Twitter. So you can find me there. That's at eric underscore Erlinson. And it's, again, E-R-I-K underscore E-R-L-E-N-D-S-S-O-N. Thanks, Adam.
All right. Thank you. And we'd love to have you back on. Hopefully next time you're back on, uh, we got some hockey going on. Yeah, let's uh, let's get back to talking about something on the ice. Uh, that'll be a lot more fun. Once again, I would like to thank Eric for uh, taking time out of his schedule to sit down and talk to us on Locked On Lightning and discuss everything that's going on with the league and that might happen with this team, this Lightning team. Uh, he's very optimistic. I think that the Lightning are going to be very good when they come back. And Eric says the season's coming back, so his word's lost, so we're going to believe him. So, yeah, uh, that's been it for Locked On Lightning, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Adam Banker. I'll catch you guys later.